This is the Unmuted Podcast by Mosaic, hosted by Bella Passi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unmuted Podcast. I'm your host, Bella Passi. Unmuted is a podcast where we host conversations on pressing issues in today's society, including things like social protest, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and reconciliation. We will host interviews with a diverse group of students from the PLNU community. Unmuted focuses on topics that may be considered hard to talk about, but show that by having the conversation, we can start the change that is needed in these times. And for today's conversation, we will be discussing colorism in the Latin American community. With me, I have two guests, Heavenly Vasquez and David DeAnda. We're so excited to have them here with us today as they share their experiences. Hey guys, welcome back to Unmuted. So excited to be here. So excited to be here with these two guests today. Um, I'm Bella, the host. And before we get started, I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, your name, your major, um, and why you're here today. Okay, um, my name is Heavenly Vasquez. I'm a senior exercise and sports science major. And I'm currently the president of ALAS, which is the Association of Latin American Students under Mosaic. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Awesome. Thank you. Hello, my name is David DeAnda. I am a junior philosophy pre-law major and um, the current secretary of the Science and Religion Club. And I am here to just talk and have conversation. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Love that. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Um, This is an exciting topic to be having. I know I say that like every episode and I believe it every episode. I need to probably find a new set of vocabulary to describe things with. Um, But today we're talking about colorism in the Latin American community and kind of in a greater context, the Latin community in general um, worldwide. it's something that I don't think a lot of people are necessarily familiar with if they're not within this community. So it's cool to be getting to like learn a bit more from my perspective and kind of dive into what this looks like within the community um, and how that spreads globally as well and why it's an issue of significance. Um, So to give a little bit of context, as usual, a little bit of a lesson before we dive in, um, how is colorism defined? So the author and activist Alice Walker is the person Uh, most often credited with the first using the word colorism out loud and in print in an essay that appeared in her 1983 book in search of our mother's gardens walker defined colorism as uh, gosh you know when there's words that you're just like i know this word in my head and i'm gonna struggle pronouncing it even though it's like (laughs) part of my should be part of my regular vocabulary uh prejudice Prejudice, prejudicial, oh my gosh, you guys know what I mean, (laughs) or preferential treatment of same race people based solely on their color. In the Webster Dictionary, the definition of colorism is prejudice or discrimination, especially within a racial or ethnic group favoring people with lighter skin over those with darker skin. Professor of Latin American and Latino Studies, Iris Lopez, explains Latinos are very color conscious and use a color classification system, which includes categories such as Blanco, Negro, Tregueno, Indio, uh, Habao, Moreno, Mulatto, etc. She says, um, I might have butchered those. I apologize. Because Latinos don't identify with a race, Lopez says they tend to use labels tied to their hair type, skin color, and facial features instead. The labels have different meanings depending on what island or country you're in because they can vary regionally. 
Lopez adds that the concept of what category you fall under depends on the percentage of black blood as indiv- as an individual has. Um, the Latino American Student Organization from a university in Charleston, Illinois, asked 40 individuals questions on colorism and found that 15% of those who responded did not know what colorism is. All believed colorism was an issue in today's society. 92.5% believed colorism is an issue in their community or culture, and 45% said they had experienced colorism. Um, a Pew Research Center survey of Latino adults from 2014 shows that one quarter of all U.S. Latinos self-identify as Afro-Latino, Afro-Caribbean, or of African descent with roots in Latin America. This is the first. This is the first time a nationally representative survey in the U.S. has asked the Latino population directly whether they considered themselves as Afro-Latino. <sighs> Okay, history lesson over for right now. Um, so I say all that to not only give a bit of, for our listeners, you know, a bit more context and definition into what we're, colorism means when we're going to be referencing it today, but also I think just like how widespread it is and how it um, is truly, you know, it affects all of us in some capacity, whether we know it or not, if it affects us or affects the people around us or whatever that may be. So that's um, just a little bit to let people know this is what it is and this is what it kind of has looked like thus far um, in the world today. So now I get to talk to you guys a little bit. Um, and to start off, can you briefly describe your journey a little bit as it has pertained to how you've grown up, um, you know, culturally in your home? Um, what that has looked like for you? Um, yeah, so I grew up in a pretty small town, like right outside of LA, and it's all like Latinos. Like, you know, that's just the population there is just all pretty like similar. And it's interesting because although it's like everyone was identified as a Latino, they all kind of like celebrated the culture differently or mm-hmm. grew up differently. And I grew up a lot differently than some of my friends. Um, so... My family's been here in the U.S. for a while, obviously. So I grew up very, like, Mexican-American. And so I I think in our house, we still stayed pretty traditional. But there was a lot of things that was like, oh, am I too American? Am I too this? Like, when I came to Point Loma, I felt like maybe I was too Mexican. But mm. then at home, sometimes I felt like I was too American. So it was an interesting balance, just trying to, like, figure that out. But... I think my family's done a good job of like keeping our roots while also like figuring out how it is like living in the the U.S. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. um, I can definitely relate to that. I actually grew up in a pretty wealthy and predominantly white community. Um, But surprisingly, my high school was pretty diverse. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I definitely struggled with my identity in regards to, you know, where do I fall on this spectrum of, you know, Mexican versus white being here in the United States. And I actually was not born in Mexico. Even my parents were not born in Mexico, but all of my grandparents, um, or I'm sorry, most of my grandparents were born in Mexico. So it definitely was a struggle because even just with my family who was born uh, in Mexico, they kind of saw me as, you know, uh, extremely privileged, which I am very, very privileged. Um, But when it came to, you know, certain friends over where I grew up, it was kind of like I was too Mexican to do these kinds of things. And so that was kind of my struggle. But um, yeah, just kind of, it's just been a long journey and 
happy with my progression and my identity. So, yeah. yeah thank you for that. Um, I think it's so helpful to hear your guys' own perspectives going into this as well for our viewers in terms of the relatability of like, oh, like that is me or, oh, that's not me, but that's a really interesting perspective to have. So thank you guys for sharing that. Um, so kind of, you know, now going off of that with your journeys, have you had any personal experiences um, with this idea of colorism um, in the community you grew up in or, you know, anybody you know of who's had experiences and can you kind of like walk us through what that was like a little bit? Uh, yeah, it was, it's pretty interesting to me when I talk about it sometimes with my friends, just because I feel like we go through trends where mm -hmm. sometimes it's more desirable to be on the more fair side. And then sometimes it's more desirable to be on the more like everyone wants a tan now and like wants mm -hmm. to be on the tanner side. So I think I've definitely, I'll admit, I've been on the not so nice side of, of that where I've, I've been pretty tan my whole life growing up. So when I was back home, like if someone was lighter, then we'd be like, oh, you're like, you know, you're lighter. You're not really this or you're not really like Mexican or like, you know, so like I'll admit that I've been on, on that side of it before. And I've seen like how it affects people when mm -hmm. you do talk about that. And it's almost like you're trying to like strip away their identity just because of how they look, mm -hmm. which is obviously like not good. And but then it's interesting when you switch environments and now you're on the tanner side and everyone else is on the more fair side. And then it's like, wait, so I used to be on the side that was more desirable, but now I'm on the other side. So it's just interesting, um, like looking back and reflecting on that and seeing how you've contributed to um, like colorism and also how you can be on the, the other end of it and then realizing like, okay, well, there's you know, there's obviously a big problem here. So there needs to be different conversations on the different like takes on it. And so, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's really important what you said. Thank you for sharing, especially of like seeing the ways and recognizing the ways in which you've like contributed mm -hmm. and experienced it. Cause I think it's super easy sometimes for us to see and recognize the places in which we've experienced it. But sometimes it can be a bit harder to be like, Oh, I can see how that could have contributed to it and stuff too. Yeah. Um, but I think that's helpful, especially for other people who are like, when you like, they're like, oh, I did that. And I didn't even realize that mm -hmm. was like probably something that could have been an issue for somebody else. Um, but yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it was interesting because when I first thought about colorism, I thought about extreme, very extreme things. But within my own experience, I realized when I was, you know, just for as, as an example, when I first started to drive, my um, both my mom and my dad did have talks with me about, hey, look, you know, you do have a little bit more tan skin. So there's some things that you really need to be conscious of, mm -hmm. um, things that other people might not need to be conscious of. And, you know, they explained to me when you get pulled over, these are the things you do. You know, you put your hands on top of the dashboard, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that, you know, at the time I was just kind of like, oh, okay, everyone you know, it's important that every single person does that no matter the color of your skin. But once I started to talk to some of my friends who were more on like the fair side, that was something that they never even experienced and never even had to, you know, have that kind of talk. So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the little things for my personal experience, but I do have, you know, uh, family and friends who have gotten like a lot worse than I have. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, that's just kind of my experience with yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And I think you guys 
both bring up very interesting points of this. I mean, it's not a new concept for us, right? Mm-hmm. Of um, the tone or the darkness of your skin and how that can equate to the treatment of, you know, how you're treated by others. I think especially outside of um, your community, right? In the greater population, that is something that um, I think our country, our society is like navigating right now is that entire concept. Um, I think what's super interesting though, is like what you referenced and what you've talked about as well is like the treatment within the community Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. as well. Um, and kind of breaking that down a little bit. And so I guys, I want to ask you guys the question of, you know, um, you kind of talked about a little bit, but I want to delve in a little more into it of like, do you think colorism happens, I guess, first amongst the community as like it can from outside the community? Um, And I guess kind of like, where do you see it showing up most when it happens within the community? In what ways? Yeah, I think it's definitely very present in the within the community, which is sad to see Mm -hmm. because you know it's it's your own community and you're doing harmful things that people outside of the community are also doing. So it's like you know it adds into it. Um, But I think. I think within the community, sometimes there can be this sense of like, if you're on the the fair skin side, then you kind of have more of this, like, like almost you're a little better than, mm. than other people, which, you know, like, I don't know where that started or where that came from, but I think people start to get that in their heads and like, even people on, with the darker skin, maybe will start to like, kind of be down on themselves and feel like, oh, well, they're on the fair side so they are gonna have more of this like I don't know um draw to people or like you know more Mm -hmm. acceptable than Mm -hmm. than you would if you aren't um and so I don't know and then going back to like even when your kids like teasing other kids being like oh you're lighter or you're darker so it's taught from like a very young age I think to see color right away and be like equate it with this like either sense of like power or desire I don't know how to explain it but I just think it's interesting that you're taught from such a young age that that's like kind of one of the first things that you see and then that's how you kind of start to categorize people Mm. and so I think seeing it outside of the community is very frustrating obviously because it's like why are you like why are you looking down on people like that or like on me like that but then when it's within a community it's like just as frustrating and sometimes a little more harmful than, than anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think it's very interesting. My sister within our extended family, they have, you know, talked to my sister about who to date and who not to date, mm-hmm. you know, certain kind of things. So it's very frustrating because, you know, within this idea, this harmful idea, in my opinion, it's it can have very, very harmful implications. And I think that, you know, I've definitely had conversations with my sister just about um, like within our own family and within our own community, the harm that, that it does. And the fact that my sister was, you know, told, you know, to work hard to, or not work hard, but just to be with somebody who is of similar skin tone, if not lighter, Mm. I think that, you know, that is a very, very harmful idea. And I think that it can have very serious implications and, and it hurts 
more like, even though I wasn't told that, just knowing that my sister was told that within our own community is very, very hurtful. And um, I just kind of, for me, it begs the question, why? You know, mm-hmm. what, like, what, I, I just, I don't understand. Um, but just trying to encourage this idea of, you know, being open-minded and like attack, like trying to overcome our personal biases. You know, that's at least what I try and constant, like uh, try and communicate to, you know, family members and things like that. But it can, you know, it is very, very hurtful within our own community. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. And I think you guys both brought up this thing of like, when you're told this or when your sister's told this or, you know, even if it's not being said, there's an implicit message mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. Um, exactly. that like, this is what we value and yeah. what we put as like having worth. And if you don't match, match up to this, which in this sense, it's having fair skin, right. Or lighter complexion, mm-hmm. then you're just deemed as not as worthy. Or like you said, not, um, holding as much value in comparison to this, like the preferred type. Um, And I think like you said, especially like how when you're a kid, you see that and that like is super impactful and like your development and how you grow up and how you not only view others, but how you view yourself on both sides, wherever you match up within this spectrum Mm -hmm. of what we define as um, what we're going to go into is like, I guess in this sense, beauty or power Mm -hmm. or, um, value. And I wanted to touch on this fact of, you know, I think we can't talk about this without talking about how colorism impacts, um, how we define beauty and stuff, um, both in the context of the greater world and within the context of this conversation within the Latin American community and Latin community. Um, so, put a little bit of context behind it in terms of beauty. The beauty culture in Latin America, which is rooted in a long history of British colonization, focuses on having a specific blend of Hispanic and European features, including lightly tan skin, long styled hair, an hourglass figure, large light eyes, and plump lips. These features are exceptionally popular in the um, South African or South American countries, as well as Brazil, the Dominican Republic, and Venezuela. Although the Latin American representation of beauty has typically leaned toward the Eurocentric, change has ensued with the rise of the Afro-Latina supermodels and entertainers. They are proud of their Latin lineage, which they represent fearlessly and set new standards of what it means by asserting their convictions and forcing the world to take notice despite rhetoric from naysayers. So things are starting to change, right? As they were saying, you're getting a little bit more representation um, in terms of... um, how beauty is defined within the Latin community, different complexions, different facial features, things like that. Um, But this is like very new as well, which when you think about it in the context of just like how long it's taken to get to this point is like sad (laughs) and astounding in a couple of ways. Um, But I wanted to talk to you guys about this in the sense of asking, you know, for you in what you've seen in your own lives, what impact, if any, do you think colorism has on how beauty is being defined within the Latin community? Uh, I think it's had a pretty big impact. I think um, a lot of the times if you're like lighter, you'll get like lumped in right away with a separate group of people. And if you're a little darker, then you get like, you know, you're in another group of people. 
And I think like the beauty standards themselves, I've especially like for women, I see a lot. And there's like this stereotype that like all Latina women have really long hair and mm. like their skin is a little tan, but not too tan. Like, you know, like they're just like the quote unquote, like perfect, you know, tan or whatever. Um, even like facial features, like you don't, your, your nose is a big thing and your lips are a big thing. And so like there's all these stereotypes on what um, like the perfect, beautiful Latina should look like which I think is really harmful because even like sometimes I've caught myself being like, ah, like, but I am from that background. Like, why don't mm -hmm. I look like that? So I think it's like super harmful to be teaching that like, this is the desired, if you're going to be from this background, this is what you should look like to be mm. more acceptable or desired, which is very harmful because you're coming from all different backgrounds. Um, you have all different, like you're going to all look different. And that's not something to be ashamed of. I think it's something to embrace and be proud of. And I think stepping into the beauty and like the, the industry of beauty and um, like when they advertise beauty products and clothing brands and stuff like that, you always see more of like the same kind of people. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's harmful to teach that to younger women and men and to say that this is what you should look like. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way to be like proud of where you come from. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's astounding to me because, you know, there's even certain products that are used within, not, not just within the Latin American community, but with everywhere pe products for people to bleach their skin mm -hmm. so that way they become lighter products for, um, you know, people to fix their hair and have their hair a certain way for extended periods of time. So that way they can fit these beauty standards. And so I think I agree. It's, it's very, very harmful because it promotes and favors one type of person mm. as opposed to celebrating diversity in looks in your hair color and your hair type and your skin color and different things like that. And so it's, you know, it is, it is very harmful and very sad to see that, you know, people resort to working extremely difficult, like working extremely hard to change the way they look in order to fit this ideal, um, skin color, this ideal hair type. And, um, I think that it can just, you know, really bring a person down, bring a whole bunch of people down. And I just think that more emphasis should be there should be more emphasis on, you know, celebrating diversity and mm. people's different skin tones, different hair types and things like that. So. Yeah. And I think you guys also brought up a good point of just like, how do we equate mm -hmm. what we look like to like our racial and cultural identity? Mm -hmm. I, th I talked about this, I think in maybe like the multiracial episode or something, but it's such a, I think at times can be like a dangerous precedent to base so much of, and it's hard because like what we see is what we know immediately and stuff first, but to base like looks and like what, like how I just look and connect that immediately to 
your racial and cultural identity because that is something if you grow up that's like so dear to you right it's like mm-hmm. how I was formed um how I identify um my childhood all of those things and then if you have you know society and it can go on both spectrums of saying you don't look enough like this or you look too much like this and stuff and kind of using that as um the indicator to determine where you fall, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of like, well, are you like really, Mm -hmm. like you said, like, are you really a Latina woman and stuff because you don't look this way? Um, I think that's super damaging, like for like how people, their identity and how they value themselves in terms of their cultural identity, how they grew up and stuff. And like you said, that can equate to sometimes I think then trying to feel like, I need to fit in Mm -hmm. to what the standards are. And like you said, bleaching, like I know you mentioned, like I think a lot of like Asian countries also do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of other cultures as well. um, Cause it's very much a Eurocentric for the most part, Mm -hmm. you know, ideal in most parts of the world in terms of what we define as beauty and things like that. Um, Yeah. I think it's super, it's super interesting, especially as we think about like how it impacts kids and how mm-hmm. you guys, when you guys become parents, if you choose to, like how you choose to raise your kids in that, right? Like it's yeah. all so um, integral into that part of it and stuff. Um, I wanted to also touch on, this isn't a concept like we've said, I never referenced it a little bit, but it's not... Um, you know, unique only to what's happening in America in terms of the Latin community here, but it's super prevalent all around the world. Um, And so I wanted to just talk about, you know, the global phenomenon of like where colorism um, is and like where it's like most prevalent in the world and stuff. So in many countries in the global South where white people are a minority, colorism is still present as a vestige of colonialism uh, and people with lighter skin tones benefit from preferential treatment in education, employment, and media representation. This is observed in many African countries where governments struggle to regulate the sale of dangerous skin lightening products. In India, where beauty pageant organizers are criticized for selecting only contestants who meet Eurocentric beauty ideals. And in Brazil, where darker skinned citizens face a, a dirt dearth of opportunities to achieve upward social mobility. Afro-Latinos make up significant shares of the population in some corners of Latin America. In Brazil, about half of the population is of African descent, black or mixed race black. Uh, In the Caribbean, black Cubans make up about a third of that country's population. In the Dominican uh, Republic, black identity is more, it's much more complicated. Estimates of Afro descent in the Dominican Republic range from about a quarter to nearly 90% of the population, depending on whether the estimates include those who identify as Indio, a group that includes many non-whites and mixed race individuals within uh, African ancestry. So this is something that, you know, affects everybody worldwide. Um, And I think it's a good sometimes indicator of like the Latin, like the Latin community is much bigger and Mm -hmm. like looks very different than how we just assume it looks here in America and stuff. Um, And vice versa in different places of the world too, it looks different and Mm -hmm. stuff. So I think that is also something to say it helps people, I guess, when we're talking about this and trying to visualize of like, actually it includes like all of this in all Mm -hmm. range of different skin tones. And there's a lot of historical context to it. And that's really important to know as well. Um, So going off of that, I wanted to talk about then, you know, this community is huge in that some aspects um, and there's subgroups of that community. And 
like you said, it's really hurtful sometimes when you think about how it happens within your own community. Mm-hmm. I think especially um, in today's society when there's so much racial tension at times going on and stuff, I think, you know, the one thing that you try to hold on to is your community and your support system, the people who are going to be able to relate most to you and your experiences and things like that. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, what is the impact, um, you know, of this like colorism in terms of, do you think it's something that is divisive for the community? Um, and what do you think the dangers of that can be? Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting that you brought up the Afro-Latino community. Um, Alas had an event on that, actually, and we talked about how, like, a lot of people don't actually know that maybe they identify in that community. Mm-hmm. And the people that do identify in that community, they feel like they have to pick one or the other. Because a lot of the time they'll say, like, I'm Latino, and maybe they'll have features that make them look like they're not. And then people will be like, but are you really? Like, you don't mm-hmm. look like you are. And then so then they start to, like, question themselves like well if I look this way then I should identify more this way so they feel like they have to pick one Mm. and I think that that's harmful because that's not allowing them to have their community of people Mm -hmm. that they identify with and that they can relate to and so that kind of takes that away from them making them feel like they have to pick one because of how they look Um, and I also think that a lot of people when they think of Latin Americans like we said earlier, like they have one picture in mind. They don't realize that it's all of Latin America, Mm. which is a lot of different places, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people. But so instead, I think people outside of the community don't really take the time to like realize that and learn about that. And I think that right away they think, oh, well, you look this way, so you're probably not that, or you're probably not this. Whereas like if you look at different um, areas, like in Latin America, there's like a a lot of people look very different all across. It's like a huge spectrum of people. And so I think that we should definitely start like leaning away from this idea of you have to look a certain way to identify with a certain community. Like if you identify with a community and you belong to a community and your background says you are part of this community, I don't, I don't really see why people should question you on it and mm-hmm. be like, oh, I don't think so. Because mm-hmm. I think in my experience, you don't look like you belong to it, which I think is not a right people have to be saying to people. Because I think, like you said, it's very harmful when you can't find a community. Mm. I know it's like very, it takes a toll, I feel like, on people's mental health when they feel like they don't belong to yeah. a community. And so I feel like we do a lot more damage than we realize taking that away from people and almost making them like have to prove that they're right. part of a community. Right. Which is like... In some aspects, it's like, well, who are we to yeah, say exactly. that? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's it's super interesting um, that it can, like, the harm that it actually can create. Mm-hmm. And I have some cousins of mine have actually shared with my family their struggles with this. You know, they are mm-hmm. darker skinned, um, but they also are Mexican. And so in one group of people, they are too black. Mm -hmm. In the other group, they're too Mexican. And they have this huge identity crisis Mm -hmm. where they don't find this particular group that they belong to. And that they've shared with us that that has Mm -hmm. definitely taken a toll on their mental well-being 
and has just caused a lot of internal and emotional mental damage. Mm. And so I think that, you know, not recognizing that colorism is a very harmful thing can have very negative implications. I think that it should be recognized and steps should be taken first individually and then you know, maybe talking to others about it on how to combat this idea. And I think, you know, it also comes like I've, I've had conversations with people where they've talked about, oh, well, it's not my intention to, you know, do this and do that. Well, you know, and my response is like, look, that that helps. But at the end of the day, the damage is still done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can combat these ideas and, you know, apologize and move forward and figure out a way to, you know, be accepting and loving, I think that that is a huge step and can have a lot of positive results. Mm. Um, because these kinds of, you know, color, colorist, I guess is the term Mm -hmm. ideas, um, come like they come from way, way back and Mm -hmm. they still have very serious and very negative implications Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. So I think that there has to be steps taken to combat this idea. And it takes a lot of work and it's going to be difficult, but you know, it's very necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like kind of going off of that mm-hmm. too. Um, I'm in like a super cool class right now. It's medical sociology mm-hmm. and it's like really interesting just like studying all of that stuff and realizing there was like a quote in one of our readings. I said, it's not like removing a few people that think this way. It mm-hmm. goes back to like a deep rooted, like this is a system we've created and, and taught people through And so I think like that's super interesting because you can't just be like, oh, these few people think that way. If we were to just change their minds, like everything would be fine. Like, I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's like very like we we've created this and we've upheld this type of thinking and system. And so I think that we need to really like do a lot of work and not just not just like, you know, blame it on a few people and be like, oh, well, it's just them. And I think this way, so I'm fine. Totally. Like, I think we still have to do the work and um, continue to like educate the people that mm. maybe are like younger than you or that are going to keep coming into this world. Because I think if we continue those ideas, then it's never really going to go away. Mm-hmm. Like, just because you don't think that way doesn't mean that like, you know, it's just all going to go away. Like, yeah. I think there's just a lot more to it. Definitely. And I want to read this statistic and then touch on what both of you said in terms of, because I think this brings a light to like Mm -hmm. what this looks like and how often it happens um, in terms of the impact of divisiveness within the community because of this. Um, Latinos with darker skin are more likely than those with lighter skin to report a specific incident of discrimination. A majority of Latinos with darker skin color, 55%, say that because of their race or ethnicity, people have acted as acted as if they were not smart compared with 36% of Latinos with a lighter skin color. Similarly, about half of Latinos with darker skin, 53%, say they have been subject to slurs or jokes compared with about a third of those with a lighter skin color, 34%. Um, So to say that it's affecting everyone in some capacity, Mm -hmm. like you said, and that's why in some ways also, even if it wasn't affecting everyone, it's everyone's job Mm -hmm. um, or it should be everyone's, you know, hope that we can work together to combat it. And I really um, liked what you said when you brought up the thing about how we interact with people Mm -hmm. who might not understand. And like you said, something about intention is that um, while it might not be your intention to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, there's grace in 
not knowing, but there's also um, accountability in moving forward, right? And then like, let's talk about it and let's talk about the resources or education aspect that we can do where you can understand a little bit more, you know? Um, And like you said, approaching it from a place of like love and understanding, but also challenging too, to be like, okay, that's fine. Or I don't want to say that's fine, but let's see how we can move forward now. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so with that then, I want to ask you because what we talked about is so important um, within this community. And I think it's a really important concept to apply to other facets too of other communities as well. Um, And so I want to ask guys, do you think colorism is prevalent to only, you know, the Latin um, community or have you seen it show up in other spaces or communities that identify with a specific race or ethnicity as well? Yeah, I I mean, I think it's pretty prevalent in a lot of like minority groups. I think for some reason, it's just like a universal idea that Mm -hmm. it's like associated with like darker skin colors associated with very different um, ideas and stereotypes than you would get if you're looking at someone with fair skin. Mm. I think it's like, I don't think it's... um, isolated to like our community Mm -hmm. I think that I've definitely seen people even just like in different communities just be like oh well I I would rather be with someone who's on the lighter side Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. I think this side is more attractive and then it's interesting to see that too because it's then you see like it's all different cultures that do that to each other so then you see that it's more of a global issue Mm -hmm. and not so much like like yeah it's important to focus on what's going on in our community but then it also brings up the idea of like, this is being taught to a lot of different mm. communities and different groups of minorities where as they already probably have harmful stereotypes associated with their their culture and how you identify. And then you add that on top of it. It's like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to work through, I feel like. Yeah. And I feel like that's definitely a very harmful one because it's so like, it's the first thing you see about someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so like, why is that the first thing you focus on? And mm-hmm. and what do we associate it with when we see someone of a different skin color? Yeah. And I think it also connects back to what you said about, you know, the historical context and the fact that it transcends other communities. Mm-hmm. It's like very internalized, which means there's a reason why it was so internalized and it goes back to like colonization and things like that. Um, but to say, this isn't, a problem that like just a certain group of people have. This is like something that everybody has in some capacity or another. Mm -hmm. If you're not aware of it or not, that might be a different question, but it's there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. So two things. One is um, there was this study done uh, that involved uh, young kids from different backgrounds and they were asked about to, they were asked to kind of, um, associate, I want to say, I can't, I don't know if I remember correctly, but they were basically asked about two different dolls that had very, very similar features. The only difference was, is one was fairer skinned and the other had, was darker skin. And uh, a lot of the, na- the kids had to say like a lot of, the, a lot of the kids said very negative or associated negative characteristics with the darker skinned doll. And so that to me was just like a huge eye opener because, uh, just made me realize how, um, 
how like that this is not just limited to the Latinx community. This mm. is this goes to people in very, very different areas with very different backgrounds. Um and two, uh, I have some friends of mine who have actually had um, talks with me about colorism in their own community and their family is from Sudan in Africa. And they had just shared with me that, you know, um, fair skin is seen as, and is seen in a much more positive way than mm-hmm. darker skin to the point where, you know, people are... Uh, just like we talked about before, using those uh, bleaching products to change their skin color to be seen as, you know, beautiful, to be seen as, you know, in in much more positive light. And so, yeah, I mean, that was another eye-opener to me that this idea extends to to basically all of humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and with the doll test, um, it was in the 1940s by Keth and Mamie Mamie, yeah, Clark. Um, and you're right. It was like kids, all the positive comments were like towards the white doll, which I think in another sense, like you said, it's not just a problem within the Latino community or the Latin community, but it's also like something that kids had that like already internalized mm-hmm. in them, you yeah. know, which means like they're like, that's a, something that is being, I don't want to say, um, that's something that's being taught to them, whether that be implicitly or explicitly yeah. and yeah. stuff, just in the media, society, all of those things. And that's why it is so important if they're learning that at that age, that we start or not start, but keep talking about it and working together to make change towards it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're coming to a close now, which I could talk about this all day. So <laughs> sad, but, um, and we should talk about it all day. But as we come to a close, I want to ask you guys, you know, what advice do you have for any individuals who are, you know, of Latin descent um, or part of the community or heritage and are trying to navigate their own identity Mm. within the Latin community, um, you know, with colorism happening, all those things. What what advice do you have to give to those individuals? Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things is to always question those internalized thoughts that you have about yourself. Like where are those coming from and Mm -hmm. why do you think that way about yourself and why do you view yourself one way or the other, depending on how you look in comparison to maybe your own community or people outside of your community. Um, And even just, just having these conversations with people outside of your community or um, I think is really beneficial because you can, you can, it goes both ways, you know, mm-hmm. you can both educate each other and learn like where this is coming from. Um, and also just being honest about how hurtful it is and not always having to cover it up and just be like, haha, like not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is a big deal and that's okay. And I don't think that you should have to hide that it hurts you because I think that being honest about that um, will teach those around you and all, but also on the other side, knowing that it's not always your responsibility to Mm -hmm. teach those. Yes. How they hurt you. Um, I think a lot of the times that happens. Um, and I think like my idea is that, well, like how else are they going to learn if I don't Mm. say it? But for a lot of people, I think it's more harmful when they have to emphasize to you why it hurt them Mm -hmm. the way it did. So um, I think doing your research, mm-hmm. becoming more educated about cultures that you're not so familiar with, 
and just all around, like, just trying to shake those, like, prejudices and yes. first glance judgments and just being more open yeah. to, to uh, learning more about people and being nicer to people. Mm. Yeah, and you brought up such a good point, too, of... We said this in other episodes, if there's nothing you gain, which I hope there's more <laughs> that you gain from this podcast than this, but if there's nothing you gain, you know, like education and awareness in terms of like understanding issues is so important. Um, but don't just go up to the token person, you know, yeah. and ask them and have them be your resource for these issues. Cause that can be really damaging to them. Do your own research learn and then find some like you know like you can have conversations with people but make sure they want to be having those conversations with mm -hmm. you and they're ready to have those conversations with you as well um, I think that's so important and being able to like understand the issues happening as well so thank you for that yeah yeah I would say my advice is to talk about it to not be afraid to talk about it I think that so much can be gained from just hearing and talking about or talking about your own story and listening and hearing other people's stories mm -hmm. and realizing that, um, you know, that these remarks or these ideas uh, can be very harmful. And I think that, I think in my own experience, what has really helped me is just talking to other people about it and just being open and honest with myself and with others. And, you know, if that requires me having a private conversation with somebody and saying, Hey, you know, that you made this remark and it didn't really make me feel good, mm -hmm. then that's what it requires. And, you know, the, the thing is also is just to realize that we are all human and we all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. We're going to mess up where, you know, when it comes to allyship, we might cross some boundaries. We might not, um, you know, we might make some mistakes along the way and mm -hmm. that is okay. And what really matters is how we move forward mm -hmm. from those mistakes, you know, address it, talk about it, understand how to move forward and what should come out of that. And we move on from there. And that is, I think, in my own experience, how I best deal with different things, whether I make the mistake or whether somebody else makes the makes the mistake but yeah yeah definitely oh so good such good <laughs> advice from both of you um thank you both for being here um as i always say this is not the end this is the beginning right of having these conversations on this campus within the community mm -hmm. and to keep them going um but the end is near for our time today. Um, so before we go, do you guys have anything you want to promote at all? Anything going on, whether that be club stuff or any events you know of or your Instagrams, whatever you guys want. This is your time. <laughs> I'm just always willing to promote all us. So Tuesdays at 6 p.m. in Hill 7. And you can follow us at Mosaic Alas on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Science and Religion Club as well. We uh, are in the works of a new event, but um, just keep an eye out for emails. And um, if you guys have any questions, feel free to contact us. You can find our um, Instagram at SRPLNU. And um, you can also reach out to me by email, um, DavidDeanda0627 at Point Loma. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much. I'm sure we'll hear from you in the future at some <laughs> point. Um, but yeah, thank you guys. Thank, thank you, you for having us.
Thank you for listening to our podcast and for supporting us. And stay tuned for when we come back in two weeks. Until then, be sure to stay safe and we'll see you soon. Take care. This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services at Point Loma Nazarene University. It was executively produced by Bella Passi and Sam Kupong. It was written by Fernanda Viana and Bella Passi. Research was done by Fernanda Viana. It was filmed by Kevin Langley from the Media Services Department of Point Loma Nazarene University. Edited by Bella Passi.